Our scripture reading today is from Ezekiel 2, 1 through 10, and 3, 1 through 15, or page 693 in the Pew Bible. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, and whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not be afraid of them, not be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel, and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not too many peoples for foreign speech and a hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I send you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all of the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart, and hear with your ears, and go to the exiles to your people, and speak to them, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, and the sound of a great earthquake. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heart of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strung upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Abib, where, um, who were dwelling by the Kebar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. This is the word of God. Great. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a, an amazing thing to come together, um, not in any ordinary assembly of random people, but Lord, to be your people gathered in your presence. Lord, we are in awe of your 
holiness, and yet your presence, only because of Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful for the liturgy that guides us through the gospel, uh, that we can know that you are with us, so we can know that we are forgiven, that we can sing your praises, that we can pass the peace with one another. Lord, we're thankful for this time. We pray that you would uh, continue to move among us, stir up our hearts. Lord, we pray for this church. Lord, we pray for the needs of the people. Lord, we know there are those that are afflicted, those that are suffering, uh, perhaps those that are not here tonight because of uh, sickness or other things. Lord, we, we pray for your healing. We pray for your comfort. Lord, we pray for your provision for those in need financially and other ways. Lord, we pray that you would be their provider. We pray that you would increase trust and faith as they wait. Lord, we pray that this church would be uh, a beacon of, of light uh, to this city and to this world, that it would be a place where we can be equipped to be salt and light in our city, among our coworkers, in wherever we go, uh, that we would be quick to share the joy that we have because of Jesus. Lord, I pray for our, our city, our country, our world. Lord, that your kingdom would come. Lord, that you would be known, that your will would be done. Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. I want to start with a question that might be sort of odd to start a sermon with, but nobody listens to the first few moments of a sermon. So here we go. Why do humans have two eyes? Kids, have you ever wondered that? That sounds like a, a question my, my four-year-old would ask. Why do we only have two eyes? Why not one? Why not three? Well, if you paid attention to the passage last week, this vision of the presence of God is accompanied by these, these creatures. Have you noticed how many eyes are described? I counted not one face on the creatures, but four faces. And there were these wheels, these wheels within the wheels. And on them were what? Eyes. Isn't that strange? Isn't that odd? So far, Kicking off this series on the presence of God, man, the presence of God is weird. The presence of God is strange. It is otherworldly. It's even beyond what we can imagine and conceive, even an artist's rendering. Kids, I'd love to see your own rendition of this. If you pay attention, it's hard. It's hard to draw. I've looked up some images, and they don't do it justice. But Ezekiel had a certain audience, right? way long ago. It was odd to those people as well. It was strange. It was otherworldly. Um, and they were actually in a place where they would be surrounded by statues and idols of foreign gods. If you've been to the, the Met, the British Museum, the Louvre, you've probably seen these uh, huge uh, column statues supporting these arches. And they're from the, the Mesopotamian, uh, Babylonian uh, time, and they're these winged oxen. Have you seen this? And that they have uh, faces and heads of men with these curly beards. This would have been kind of normal for them to see these hybrid human 
animal creatures. But if we remember this description of these figures, these creatures that accompany the presence of God, they are far different. This would even have been weird for them. God is asserting his superiority even over these pagan gods. He is something beyond them, even impossible to conceive in physical space given the limits of our dimension. How, how do four creatures move in all directions like lightning without turning? How do wheels move without spinning? But if this is intended to be a vision of God, then it follows that this vision is closer to the core of reality than what we know. This vision kind of disarms, discomforts us. It gets us out of the ordinary. Maybe we need to start asking different questions. Why are we the way that we are? Maybe God, the creator of the universe, is the normal one here. At the very least, we have to question or whether or not we have the right to determine the limits of reality. In Ezekiel, we will be invited to a healthy discomfort. Maybe you're the type, you don't like sci-fi, you don't like fantasy, you don't like to think about that kind of stuff. You just want to flip on to the stuff that's going to be really practical. We're invited to a healthy discomfort, one that's intended to heal, to restore, and invite us into the presence of God, that life-giving and strengthening presence of God. In these chapters 2 and 3, God calls Ezekiel by his prophetic word to break through the hard shell of the Israelites' minds and hearts. And the first way he does this is through this vision. And he'll continue to do it in these 45 chapters through sometimes shocking metaphor, detailed allegory. As we'll see in this passage, sometimes this repetition that's like, okay, we get it, we get it, but we don't. But he accompanies that with direct and plain speech and crystal clear logic. Ezekiel is a prophet, which means he's a prosecutor. He's a prosecuting attorney for the law of God. All of this is intended to get through our thick skulls. For us to know who God is and who we are and how God plans to redeem us. Uh, when you're studying the Bible, there are three good questions to ask. What does it say about who God is? What does it say about who we are? And what does it say about Jesus? Or in other words, what does it say about how God saves? So that's gonna be serving as our outline. Uh, first, who God is. He is holy and his speech is revelatory. Second, who we are, we're hardened rebels against God. And third, how God restores us, which is by the presence of his word. All right, who God is. God is holy, and because he is holy, his speech is revelatory. Central to this passage is God's action and God's speech. Uh, notice how many times the sentence begins with, and he said to me, uh, 2, 1, 3, 3, 1, 3, 4, 10. Lots of repetition. God, he is the one who acts and speaks. He's the one who sets Ezekiel on his feet. He sends, he commands, he warns. He's the subject of this call. 
It's crystal clear. God is the one who speaks and who calls. Ezekiel is the object. He's the receptor of this, of these words. But let's not forget, who is it that is speaking? And we, we saw at the tail end of that reading that this, these winged creatures are still there as these words are being spoken to Ezekiel. Who is it? It's this otherworldly, supreme God, Yahweh, the one uh, who is holy. What do we mean when we say God is holy? That's a, a very Christian word, right? The Holy Bible. It means, among other things, as Nathan said last week, that God is other. It also means that he is utterly and perfectly good. He is pure. This is partly why the vision of God in chapter 1 is what it is. It's depicting something that is supremely not like us. This God is other. Even these animal-like creatures are only accompanying God himself, right? They aren't God. They're only accompanying God. Um, the title, Son of Man, it underscores that Ezekiel is a man, that he's humankind. He's a part of that race, and God is not. God is speaking as creator, one above, one who created humankind. God is holy. The, the prophet Isaiah puts it really well in Isaiah 55, and he's quoting God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's what it means for God to be holy. The wonderful thing about God speaking his thoughts, however, is that instead of being hidden, instead of remaining only known to the Trinity, they are now revealed. We can know the mind of God. They can be translated, revealed to be known by us. This might sound like an incredibly basic thing to say. God reveals himself in his words. God reveals himself. Therefore, there's something special about the word of God. It is unlike any other word. They are revelatory. It is an inbreaking of the holy God into our world, into our lives. Aptly titled, The Holy Bible. Um, I, I really like documentaries. My, my wife and I, it seems like that's one of the only genres we agree on. <laughs> so we watch a lot of them. But there's nothing worse, a, a documentary, uh, that you get to the end of it and the, the black screen comes up in the white letters and it says, so-and-so, who often happens to be the main character that everyone's talking about in the documentary, did not respond for comment when requested an interview, right? The documentary is not really worth much if you don't actually hear from the subject themselves. Theology, there, there are stacks and stacks of books of theologians have written uh, centuries and millennia throughout the history of, of the church. Those guys are brilliant, and you should read them. But they are human words 
in God's word, we hear from the subject himself. We hear from God. He speaks for himself. Um, and at the very beginning of the Bible, this happens, the suspense of God's uh, silence uh, or not hearing from God is broken when we see that it's by his word, let there be light, that all of creation, all that is created comes into being. It is his words that he blesses his creation. He says, this is good. And he says to, to humans, these are very good. It is his word that breaks that deathly silence in the garden when Adam and Eve were hiding. He said, where are you? It was his words. His prophets spoke his word and Jesus, his final word, the word made flesh. In our time and place, we desperately need an inbreaking word from God because words are cheap. Politicians uh, apologize by saying they misspoke. Uh, politicians mislead in their words. Married couples say what we do not mean to each other. Friends tear each other down subtly with things that we say to each other. Twitter is notoriously full of words that in an instant can destroy lives. But most of the time it's full of noise, words that are pretty meaningless, that will be forgotten. We built our entire civilization based on words. And yet our words seem to amount to an empire of chaotic meaninglessness. Into our time and place, just like God spoke to and revealed himself to Ezekiel. God is speaking now. He speaks and his words are revelatory. They are holy. They are not encumbered by doublespeak, confusion. They're not limited by the ability of reason. It's the holy word of God and it shatters. God's word heals, it gives life, and as we will see, First into the dark world of sin, it must do surgery. Like a brain surgeon cuts away the scalp, saws to open a skull to get to the soft tissue of a person's brain to remove a tumor that's killing them, God's word cuts only to heal, only to restore like chemotherapy infusions shut down bodily systems and attack the cancer in a patient's body and nearly bringing them to the point of death only to give them a second chance at life. So God's word, as we will see through Ezekiel, is sometimes painful when it does its work on the cancer of our souls. But the goal, the goal is to heal the goal is to bring us closer, to prepare us to be in the presence of a holy God. Who are we? We are hardened rebels, this passage says. Let's first look at rebels and then look at hardened. In Ezekiel, uh, it says that God called him to a people who had rebelled against his covenant. Verse 3 says, I sent you to a nation of rebels. And then, more repetition, 
Verse 5, 6, 7, and 3, 9, a rebellious house. Rebellious house. Rebellious house. Israel, they had, in Ezekiel's own lifetime, renewed their covenant with the law. The King Josiah had read the scroll of the law before all the people, and they had renewed. They said, we promise to follow this. That happened in Ezekiel's own lifetime, but they had been really busy since that happened. Really busy breaking the law of God. Ezekiel 22 6 through 12 lists some specific ways that they had sinned, and I won't read it now, but to sum it up, it's not just missing one too many quiet times. It wasn't as small as Jeff said of Peccadillo. This is not small sin. Um, Incest, murder, bribery, all kinds of sexual sin extorting immigrants, mistreating orphans and widows. These sins would make even the most libertine today gasp and be afraid to speak of. It's interesting, this word rebel. I don't think it has much meaning, actually, today. Um, We've kind of erased the category. Uh, Punk has become mainstream, right? Walking around the college campus, Everybody has Converse All-Stars. Everyone has a New Order t-shirt. Punk and the counterculture has become the culture. Have you noticed this? Um, Implicit in the definition of rebel is some prior loyalty or commitment to authority. What we have today, the only authority we recognize is ourselves. I am the ultimate Authority. And before we say, yeah, those people out there, we are in the world and part of it as well. In the church, sometimes we see that the only authority we recognize is ourselves. And if this is true, the foundation on which we should follow the law of God, the authority of God and our covenant with Him, it's crumbled, it's gone. So, What's stopping us from doing whatever we want if ourselves are the final authority? Who's to say what is wrong? We are also hardened. In chapter 3, 4, and 11 through 11, it serves as kind of this repetition of the call to this rebellious house, but it highlights another way that this rebellion occurs, a passive rebellion, an omission of God's law. Um, You should, if you get a chance, read Martin Luther's commentary on the Ten Commandments, and what he highlights is not just the the overt breaking of the commandments that we should be be aware of, but he kind of says, well, what's the implicit positive affirmation that comes with each commandment? Do not murder. Well, check, that's easy. Didn't do that today. But have I upheld and protected life as much as I could? Do not lie. Well, didn't do that. But have I upheld and defended and spoke the truth? Perhaps it's more convicting when we look at the other side of the coin, especially if you're a polished put together Christian. What's the other side of the coin? What is the omission that we have committed? 
How have we become hardened in that sin, callous in that sin? It can be a passive stubbornness, a refusal to lift a finger for others at a cost to ourselves. Israel refused to listen to God. How have we refused to listen to God? I I think it's important to note that God says, Ezekiel, if I were to send you to the foreign nations, they would be more likely to listen to you, (laughs) to listen to me, than you would, right? The only way that happens if somehow God's people have become inoculated, the only way that happens if somehow they have become so hardened, they could not hear the voice of God. Church, where have we rebelled? Maybe it's not active rebellion against God's law, but where have we failed to do what is right? How does God restore? How does he save? God restores his people by the presence of his word. So if the people of God are hardened rebels, God says to Ezekiel, don't be a rebel. (laughs) The only way this works is if you're not like them. The only way your word has any credibility among this rebellious people is if you are not a rebel. And he says, instead, take this scroll that has my words on it and eat it. And of course, this is a metaphor for taking the words of God into himself, letting them fill him, digesting them, if you will, being fortified, being strengthened by God's words because he has a hard job ahead. He's supposed to speak the words of God even when they refuse to listen. There were rebellious, hardened people. He would need all the strength he could get because in verse 5 and 7, it says, their looks even, not just their words back, which I'm sure there are a lot of words back, but even their looks, sometimes a look can be piercing. Right? Even their looks and words would be sharp as thorns and sting like scorpions. Ezekiel was sent to a hard people and God made him harder. Um, in in eight and nine, um, it says that I've made you like Emery, harder than Flint. I've made your forehead, right, a hard head. Um, the better translation here is probably diamond. And I, I actually I didn't know this. I've heard about diamond saws all my life, and I thought that was just kind of just a description, or maybe even a brand. There are actually small diamonds on a diamond blade saw. The reason why is because it's the hardest naturally found substance that we can find. Um, And the reason you need a diamond on a blade is because it has to cut through the other hardest substances in the world, right? Maybe Maybe your countertops were cut by a diamond saw. What is the diamond saw of the word of God? What is going to cut through to us? Right? I, have, I have toddlers, and sometimes you just, you just repeat the, the command. Stop, stop, stop. Nothing gets through, right? Is it just more repetition? Is it just more just bang, bang, bang the law over people's heads? 
Thank goodness, no. The word of God is living and active, and it is able to pierce to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrows, uh, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How is it able? The diamond saw of the word of God, and this is hard to choose, right? Grace. The gospel. Grace, which is at the heart of the gospel. What Ezekiel is doing and what most prophets in the Bible are doing, they, they are talking about sin. They are talking about the ways that the people of God have utterly failed to live up to what God has called them to. And it's sort of like what Ezekiel is called to do is take them by teaching the words of God and saying, this is what God says about you. He's taking them to the edge of a pit, a black pit that they should be thrown into. And he's making them look in it for a moment. And then he says to them, I sent my son instead of you. Come into my presence. I promise to love you, even though this is what you deserve. I'm showing you grace. You're getting what you do not deserve. I sent my son in your place. We deserve destruction but because of his covenant love, because of his promise, God forgives. Um, so in, in my adolescence into college, I was really into punk and emo. And so, you know, the, the idea of being a rebel was really, really important to me. I, I played in, in, in punk bands, but um, I was so hardened. And, and I, I, don't, I don't mean that I was just like a hardcore rebel or, you know, just hardcore in everything I did. Um, that might be, especially if you're in college, I work with college students, so um, you might be thinking of that stereotype right now. Well, I, I want to I dispel that. I was actually quite a goody two-shoes. My hardness, my stubbornness was totally and completely self-righteousness. Um, I thought I was better than everyone else, and I especially thought I was better than my Christian friends. I didn't need them. I was hardened. I was callous towards the meek and the vulnerable. I was hardened to grace. And it was actually, it was the words of Jesus. If I could throw out any books of the Bible, it would be those four Gospels, out of here. Because in them, I saw Grace, I saw Jesus. You see, I was the Peter offended by the foot washing. I was Judas upset by the wasted perfume. I was the Pharisee with a stone. And God's grace, ooh, it cut. It cut. What he was saying was Jesus loves you. And saying, no, I mean you, Nathan. And I was like, why me? He's like, exactly. I love you. Friends, Jesus, the word of God made flesh, incarnate, came to earth. He comes as the word of God, speaking hard words that cut to stubborn, rebellious people. The holy God came and dwelt among us. Uh, he didn't have to eat the word. He was the word. He was tried and executed as a rebel, by rebels, 
for rebels. Even though he was loyal to his father and to the law to the very end. You know, the the funny thing is, is that um, once God got through to me and grace actually started to be precious uh, to me, I loved reading the Bible. (laughs) All of it. And the cool thing that happened is I began to see that these four Gospels aren't the only thing about Jesus. Every page is about Jesus. And friends, I hope you see that as well, that if the Word of God seems cold and dead and you don't want to pick it up, friends, there is stuff that's going to cut you. It's going to be hard to read, but it is going to bring you life. It's going to heal you. It's going to prepare you for the holy presence of the Lord. In that time, um, shortly after that, I I lost my job. I was unemployed, and I had about six months to read. (laughs) And in that time, God called me uh, out of a career of architecture. This was 2008. The recession had hit, and he called me into full-time ministry that I've been in to this day. Friends, we have the words of Ezekiel, um, the book, that the words of God. We have the whole book of the Bible, and every day we have the opportunity to eat this scroll, to be fed, to be filled. The reason we fast is to be reminded it's the word of God that is to fill us. Are you hungry? As we read in Psalm 19, it's sweet, sweeter than honey. Come and eat your fill. Let me pray.